0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Angry Environmentalist. I know it's been a hot minute since I have posted and have kept up with content, and I sincerely apologize for that. The reason why I haven't posted and been more active on the podcast is because not only am I a full time grad student, I'm also doing my thesis. I also work part time, well, two part time jobs. And I'm also finalizing and trying to get my book published, my environmental children's book, which I will talk about when it's closer to being published. Right now, you know, it's in a specific stage that is taking a lot of work. But I'm super excited to be back on and posting more content. Um, I'm on summer break now, but I have exciting news. I am working on my thesis So I will be traveling the United States studying bison, and I'll talk about that in another episode, but this episode we are going to be focused on coexisting with coyotes. So without further ado, I'm going to play this track that I actually recorded in January with someone from the Gotham Coyote Project. So let's get started with that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Angry Environmentalists. In today's episode, we have a guest speaker on to talk about coyotes, and more specifically, coyotes in urban areas and how to coexist. This guest speaker is the co-founder of Gotham Coyote and has worked as a wildlife biologist since 2001. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest speaker, Dr. Chris Nagy.
1: Thank you, yeah. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So I will start with the first question. Um, can you please tell us a little bit about the Gotham Coyote project and your organization's mission?
1: Yeah the Gotham Coyote project is is somewhat informal uh, it's basically a co- collaboration of, of researchers and colleagues who uh, were interested in in coyotes in the New York City area and I'll talk more I guess about the research and, and our findings but um, it's basically, uh, I guess I would, st- I'm one of the principal investigators, if you want to use what, that term. Um, and I work for, a, an organization called the Mianus River Gorge, which is a land trust located in, in Bedford in, in Westchester County, right outside the city. And, uh, the Gotham Coyote Project itself kind of started with myself and a few other colleagues, uh, my friend Mark Weckel and my friend Ann Toomey who's now at Pace, actually. Uh, And um, we just started looking for coyotes in city parks. Uh, And this was about 2011, really. In 2010, we did some work in southern Westchester, which is also very urban. And since then, it's grown into, you know, we do a survey all across the city every summer. Um, We do work with other folks who have come on board, uh, looking at diet, looking at at genetics and and population genetics, um, we've worked some uh, towards kind of human and and wildlife relations, and even some some work on, you know, how people how people's perceptions of nature kind of affect their uh, perceptions or their opinions on having wildlife in a in a place like New York City, um, coyotes included, but others. Uh, we've worked uh, a lot with students, mentoring students who are interested in ecology, especially those who are from New York City. That you know, really would never have thought that even wildlife biology or ecology as a career, but but even more so, just I have nature <laughs> around here, um, and so I hope uh, we've brought some of that to those students and as well as to the community. So. We, we kind of get our fingers in a lot of different things, you know, at the same time, each member of the team sort of does this on the side in many ways. I'm probably the one whose day job has sort of allowed me to do the most work on, on this project. A lot of the others can only give minimal, but we all find a way to contribute what we can and, and get things done.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, even for myself, I never really thought of coyotes being in like urban areas like that. So, and I didn't really know that until I actually had Dr. Toomey as a professor and she talked yeah. about it. So that's cool.
1: It's new to New Yorkers. I think, you know, that stereotype that New Yorkers, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole, the city itself is their whole world in, in many ways. And, and that's true to a degree. And in this case, you know, coyotes have sort of colonized and and entered and and flourished to one degree or another in almost every city in the continental u.s and and even canada and mexico so you know the the shock that, that people have about seeing them in new york is understandable but also like it in in some ways it it shouldn't that be that much of a surprise because they're everywhere else and new york is just one of the last places um it is you know very urban and very large and so it's interesting in that way. But there's coyotes in L.A. and Denver and Boston and D.C. and Atlanta. And, you know, basically every city um, in the U.S. except pro- except for Hawaii. Uh, they haven't swam out there yet. And, um, you know, the very, very high reaches of Alaska where you get into the tundra and stuff where, where we don't really see coyotes yet.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I never really thought of that. So our next question, what has your research regarding coyotes focused on?
1: Mine personally has stuck with, or at least the, 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 the questions that I have the resources to, to look at myself mainly has to do with where are the coyotes and, and in those places where we find them, are they breeding yet? And, and what places in an urban landscape would provide those resources? So over the years, we've run camera trap surveys and camera traps are those uh, digital cameras that you can put on a tree and anything that walks in front of them, it takes a picture. And so you can use them to study all kinds of wildlife. And the fundamental question they answer is, you know, what species are here uh, if they're, you know, well able to be photographed. So, you know, very tiny mice or birds are not very well studied with cameras but mammals generally are anything bigger than a squirrel so you can look at deer and coyotes and, and bears and turkeys are one bird that, that works well with them so you know you put the cameras up you leave them for a certain amount of time and you see what pictures you get at the end of that and if you put those up uh long enough and and uh frequently enough and and enough cameras at the right time of year you can learn where you can start seeing patterns of where animals are versus aren't, and maybe you can see correlations between the cameras that pick up a certain animal or many animals, whatever you're interested in. And um, with coyotes, I'll, I'll, I'll cut to the end. I mean, basically coyotes can live nearly anywhere that there's some sort of green space we found. There's been really no patterns. At, given the places we can put cameras, I can't put a camera in Times Square. Um, but if you're given some amount of, of vegetation, you'd probably see a coyote there uh, sooner rather than later, and and then the the two things that sort of limit that is, is one, can the coyotes get there? On, on? If you look at a map of New York City, right, there could be, like, say, Prospect Park is a very large park way down in Brooklyn. If you took Prospect Park and put it in the Bronx, you know, that habitat within Prospect Park is perfectly suitable for a coyote, but what probably has kept them out of there until now is simply its distance away from everything else. And so rather than how good the little place is by itself, it's more about its arrangement in the in the larger landscape and can a coyote even get there. And then the next thing that I I is this is sort of the the theory I've kind of developed over years is that, you know, a lone coyote by itself, an adult can survive in a place like Central Park and, and there's a Coyote in Central Park right now uh, for several years, and but there is probably a more a more stringent or more restrictive amount of arrangement and amount of resources, amount of space that would allow a pair of coyotes to raise pups. So while one single coyote by itself can probably make it in Central Park, it remains to be seen if two coyotes can raise pups there year after year. That's a different story they may need more space they obviously need more food they may need more privacy that sort of thing so that's sort of where my uh my own research kind of tries to focus on is is finding those thresholds of habitat and landscape and and human activity that you know either allow coyotes to breed and i'm focusing more now on the breeding areas versus not this park will never work or it will work once or twice, but in the long run, it's not a good place. Um, whereas, oh, this park is, is big enough. It's got food enough, you know, all that sort of stuff. Where are those cutoff lines?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even think about there being a coyote in Central Park. <laughs>
1: it surprised all of us <laughs> to be honest. And, and it, it goes to many things. It goes to many things. Uh, one of which is, I think the changing, I mean, we still have issues, but <laughs> it goes to the changing perception of this animal. I don't know um, if, you know, years back, there was a coyote that that showed up in Central Park and it became this massive, like, helicopter chase and the cops were all over the place. And um, the thing, you know, was just chased for like two days and they finally caught it just because it was there. You certainly have a, you know, coyotes as individuals there are some that are a little smarter about staying hidden and that sort of thing but I think a lot of it the fact that we can have one now there for three or four years now shows like how much calmer (laughs) people have gotten from just the regular person on the street to the police department to the, the media even you know and it hasn't become this huge hysterical thing
0: and I think that kind of gets into one of the other questions that I'll ask now is like coexisting and people's perceptions changing and making it easier to coexist so are there ways that we like how people can coexist with coyotes more peacefully
1: yeah i mean it's it's a hard question to to just answer because you know with any wild animal it's still a wild animal so i can't just say don't worry about it you're never going to have a problem because there are problems very very rare and the analogy I make is, you know, you're 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 in more danger having a dog in your house than a coyote in your backyard. And I certainly don't want people to now be afraid of their dogs. But <laughs> uh statistically that's the truth. So um, but the 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 coyote in the backyard is not a zero risk, a zero percent risk. Um and so yeah, there there are the number one thing at this point in the city uh is We've never really had any coyotes that, um, you know, got food habituated uh, really badly. In the two cases I can think of where something was uh, starting to happen, we were able to intervene. And But when I say we, we were part of a, you know, group of folks who who were able to, who, who thankfully enough, we, someone contacted us and we were able to, to work with the parks department who sort of did a lot of the hard work. Of actually trying to educate the community you know educate it was actually a golf course so educating the staff and that sort of thing about don't throw your sandwich (laughs) to the coyote don't try to get a picture of it get closer all those sort of things and to teach also the users of the course too so that's the number one thing is is first off don't be scared if you see one if you see one you know to sort of normalizing the fact that they are here but that you don't want to then encourage further close contact, right? If you see one out in the woods while you're hiking in one of the big parks in the city, and there are several of them, um, that's not a cause for concern, but you also don't want to try to be best buddies with it. Right. So they're not pets, but they're also not monsters. Um, I think that's one thing that that's kind of the first step is to make that to thread, that needle (laughs) Um, for people People would say like Westchester where coyotes have been here longer and sort of the, the landscape allows for like much closer contact. Whereas like in the city, if you want to see a coyote, you kind of have to go out and see, you know, to a park. Uh, we haven't had any problems with coyotes in an apartment building or something, right? Or in the middle of Manhattan or, or in the middle of a really big urban space. There needs to be some green space nearby. Uh, in Westchester, though, it's very easy to see a coyote in your backyard. Because right over there is more woods, so you de- you do tend to have more direct contact. The coyotes, you know, maybe sniffing through somebody's garbage if they're not closing up properly, or if someone's letting their dog off leash run around all over the place, and the dog finds a coyote a coyote den and the coyotes defend the den, you know, then you have an issue. But the issue in that hypothetical that I just laid out is that you probably shouldn't have let your dog run all over the place. So it's a lot of education, um, but also the acceptance of this new this new reality just as we've accepted so many other things in our lives right nobody very few people are saying you know there shouldn't be any roads because cars are dangerous (laughs) Should shoot all the cars because they're dangerous no you you, i mean there actually is a more legitimate argument for that but in my opinion but uh you, you see my analogy is that you know, you, you, we accept much greater risks in our daily lives than wildlife being around us. Uh, and if you do the right things, the, the coyote, the risk from coyotes and other wildlife is so minimal. I mean, I, I actually tried to do a study in Westchester with people that were, you know, problem coyotes, quote unquote. And, you know, could I, I wanted to find communities or golf courses or or, or land owners that we're were seeing coyotes in a in an area, they didn't want them, they had concerns, like maybe they thought the coyotes were behaving abnormally or approaching or boldly, whatever they want to however you want to characterize it. And then I would like to go and observe these coyotes, see if it's legitimate, if it's a coyote problem, or maybe it's a people's perception problem. And then can I intervene or not and do something, change the coyote's behavior or recommend removal or whatever it might be. I couldn't find any places <laughs> that had like legitimate problems. Everyone would, would see coyotes. Uh, everyone I spoke to were sort of, well, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, either they thought they were cool. And as long as they stayed over there, we're fine with it. Or they're like, well, they, they make me a little nervous, but you know, they haven't done anything really bad. And I, you know, so there wasn't anything beyond these sort of guidelines that I could give them. I couldn't even locate a, a den or anything to observe that reliably because they're just it just wasn't happening. Um so that that's another thing is to just think of like how rare it all is and and then consider the other risks that you're perfectly happy (laughs) with every day.
0: Yeah, that's I think that was awesome explanation. It's people, it's perception and learning that their behavior is most of the time normal. And if there is something that you see as problem, it's like contacting the right people um so i
1: totally agree with that yeah and and you know coyotes are not endangered and you know if you do, if if one needs to be removed or a few need to be removed then that's that that can be evaluated case by case and it can be done if necessary and then you'll have more coyotes you know in less than a year <laughs> and they'll be the coyote needs to learn that i could maybe i should eat these dogs <laughs> maybe i should eat these little dog that's running around uh, it needs to be taught to some degree that that's an opportunity or that people, if I approach them, might throw me some food so they can take a picture of. Yeah. They need to be taught that. They don't start off like that. So if you, you don't, you know, it's sad for that individual animal, but if that animal learns that and, and you cannot change that behavior and you do need to remove it, the next coyote that shows up will, isn't necessarily going to do that.
0: Yeah. So I think like a big part of it too is like public outreach and education. And I know like at my job right now I'm actually doing a coexisting program. So I'm hoping that right. things like that will
1: actually Where do you help. work?
0: I work for privacy reasons. I am taking this little five second clip out of the podcast.
1: Oh yes, yes. Did we we've put up cameras there several times. I, I think I met one of your coworkers like two summers ago.
0: Yeah, there's we a lot doing... of coyote action going on there. I was actually yeah. out the other day walking around, and a coyote. I just like, I was like, oh, a dog's running, and then I look closer. and I'm like, oh, that's a coyote with like a huge yeah. cut on its back, and it was fine. But it
1: was... <laughs> yeah, that was one of the places that we we went to, and um, I, you know, I think I, I'm sorry I don't remember your colleague's name, but but she showed me a spot like here's where we have a camp and the kids play and sometimes early in the morning we see a coyote running back and forth and i said well please if if it goes beyond that right where the kids are out and the coyote comes you know contact me and we can come and observe and and you know the one place that this did sort of work was a golf course in the bronx where i talk about this example a lot if if you've read other you know maybe articles i was in because it's the only one i have but where we actually did have. a group of coyote pups coming out on the green, you know, this is how it starts. The, the reports I got were that coyotes were running all over the green and they were chasing the lawnmowers and taking food out of like people's lunch boxes that are on the golf course or, or on the golf cart or, and you know, all these stories. So, okay, we'll go every day and watch. And sure enough, they they were out, but it was only like an hour in the morning where they were staying up a little later into the morning, and the golf course would open say at like seven and so the there was like a six thirty to seven thirty by seven thirty the coyotes were gone, but there was this little overlap of the very early golfers <laughs> might see a coyote and in that case, you know the very restricted area in the Bronx, the coyotes didn't really have anywhere else to go um, We knew from cameras and other things that there was a you know that there were two adults obviously that had the litter initially, but the female had been killed or disappeared or whatever so my theory was that the father was going out to forage and the pups were left by themselves and they were very young and they just started wandering all over the place and there was a juvenile male who was kind of watching them but he probably didn't know what he was doing and so you you did indeed have them just be a little more exploratory a little more curious as as young animals will be but by August they were adults and skittish just like every other coyote and didn't bothering one after that and and we were able to observe this and 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 map out where the counties were and, and and uh tended to go and and uh that at least gave people the 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 comfort that like experts were on the job if you want to call us experts but you know they we were at least trying to measure something and determine whether there was a real problem or this was just sort of a behavior or or young pups being pups a little more than usual and that sort of thing and it did it changed and and everything uh was fine by the end and i think maybe perhaps us being there every morning maybe scared the coyotes a little bit um just a new a new change to their environment these people looking at them with binoculars every morning was something that made them retreat a little bit so you can be subtle about changing their behavior too and and but anyway in the in the end it 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 did just it was temporary there was a reason for it we were able to find the reason, but I haven't been able to find that sort of situation again where there's something that we could evaluate and potentially intervene, and then you know it worked um in most cases, what happens is somebody calls me not to belabor this point too much, but I'll get a call from like uh, local town or something in Westchester again, where, where people, where people's residences can be like right where the coyote is or different, a little different than the city. Um, and they'll be very concerned about a coyote and this coyote is being seen during the day and maybe it, like checked out somebody's little dog and they got really worried. So then the the town decides, well, we have to do a coyote plan and they call me and they ask me to give a talk at the community center. And, by the time I show up, the coyote is not there anymore. <laughs> it's not bothering anyone. No one sees it. No one comes to the talk and the plan never happens because it's, it's this flash in the pan thing. And and I would like follow through It'd be great. And there are towns that have done it out West where there are just more coyotes and they've been around longer. Um, but it, it's such a, a emotional thing often with, with some folks that get very concerned and it's, it's quickly over (laughs) Uh, and so it comes and goes and and um, I would just encourage people to put it in the context of their real lives and and what what is this really it's just an animal trying to find food and raise its young and if I leave it alone um, it'll probably leave me alone.
0: Yeah that's very true very true most animals don't want anything to do with us so now I have questions from listeners. So the first one is can coyotes and wolves share territories?
1: Yeah, it's uh, yes. The answer is yes. Um, just like you can have, you know, coyotes are sort of in the middle between of the canids that we have in North America. You have wolves, at least in some places. They used to be nearly everywhere, coyotes and then foxes. And each the bigger one kind of bullies the littler one. Um, but the littler one. Can coexist in that same landscape. They're just avoiding <laughs> the bigger one in most cases.
0: Awesome. Yeah.
1: There's this yeah. saying I heard, and I think I like it. It's uh, you know, why can coyotes run 45 miles per hour? It's because a wolf can run 40.
0: <laughs>
1: That's and, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they don't want to get you.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so next one is if someone were interested in pursuing research with coyotes how would they go about it
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> i mean broadly you know if you want to be a wildlife biologist you you know you get a bachelor's in biology of some kind and then go to grad school and and, and do that path um and i could talk about that in more detail if you wish what little wisdom i have about it but um in coyotes specifically you know there's a lot of work on urban coyotes and and especially you know the the I think there's a lot to be done about individual behavior and and how that relates to interacting with humans or or how some coyotes in an urban area maybe may take the strategy of of being very reclusive and avoiding people at all costs, which is generally better. But there's also the coyotes that maybe I take advantage of every opportunity and I go in the garbage, (laughs) which is uh, perhaps short term profit profitable, but probably not best for the animal in the long run. And, um, you know, there's also a lot of work being done on the relationship between North American wolves and coyotes and how many species of wolves are there really. and, And there's lots of work with that in terms of conservation, you know, the ethics of it. I mean, coyotes are still very very persecuted. There's still contests that they have even in New York of like who can kill the greatest the most coyotes in a weekend and they'll just throw them all in the garbage. <laughs> uh so you can do that sort of advocacy. <laughs> um you can also do that kind of study uh in terms of what it, what are what is the role of coyotes and and what does it do? uh ecologically or socially in the human kind of uh issues department if you just shoot 100 coyotes in an area most studies i'll tell you will say they come right there's there's just 100 more again in a few years and it does nothing except sate the bloodlust of some some uh ethically compromised individuals but (laughs) yeah it's sort of a broad question uh but but i would say just in terms of being a biologist, you have to go to school for a long time.
0: Yeah, that's very Yeah. I, I wanted to be a biologist and then I realized that I'm not good at biology. So,
1: Well, it's not, yeah. You're not doing mitochondria and stuff like that. Uh, you're doing a lot of, I, I do a lot of statistics and, and, and designing experiments. Like I mentioned briefly uh, some of the things that you, some of the the more traditional like scientific method and experimental technique, things don't work very well in field ecology, or at least it takes a lot. It's very hard to make them work. And so you sort of use these alternative, perhaps less rigorous, but, uh, techniques and, and you compensate for that by just sheer sample size. (laughs) And, and, and so you need to know that sort of stuff, but in terms of like the really dry content, I mean, Yeah, I didn't like cell biology or genetics either. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, not a fan of those. So next question. Someone was interested in how they travel at night and if they have night vision.
1: Yeah, it depends what you mean by night vision. They definitely see better in the dark than we do. Um, Most animals do see better than people do in the dark. Cats and dogs and all those guys. Deer see very well in low light, but they can't see in total darkness. Nothing can see if it's just no light at all. But that's very rare, right, in nature. usually have the moon or something. How they travel at night, I mean, they're definitely very nocturnal. If you're interested, there's a documentary called Meet the Koi Wolf, which is a a term that's not totally incorrect. But uh, anyway, it's very interesting. And they actually go out with the folks who are studying coyotes in Chicago which is the largest urban coyote study. And they're able to, they have night vision goggles and they can, they were out in the suburbs watching coyotes move through the houses. And it was really amazing to see like someone would turn on their light and go out to their car to get their keys or whatever. And the coyotes like stops and hides behind a tree and the person walks in, walks out and then he runs and goes on his way. And so they're there and and they're just really good at staying hidden.
0: I'm thinking of like, when I see like night vision, I see like a coyote with the night vision goggles on. <laughs> That's what I was like imagining. But here's our last question. Um, are coyotes related to dogs?
1: Yeah, you know, coyotes are very closely related to gray wolves. And dogs are effectively gray wolves <laughs> that have been, you know, bred by by people. And so yes, and you can have if you were to have them in a lab or something, coyotes and dogs can have viable offspring. And the, to the degree of that happening out in the wilderness, I'm sure it happens. We found that coyotes in the East, and when I say we, <laughs> colleagues of mine who are geneticists, basically every coyote in the East is, is has some background, some ancestry with both wolves and dogs. And I don't think it, whether it's been settled as to whether you know that dog ancestry is via wolf, right? So the for a given coyote, it's 50% coyote, 25% wolf, 25% dog. Does that dog section mean that it's one of its ancestors was a dog or, or was one of its ancestors a wolf dog, right? So that, that there's been lots of people who like to breed wolves and dogs together, and then they realize they're a miserable pet. And so they let them go. And that's how you have things like black wolves uh, and things like that and 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 the the w- dog genes and dog alleles have been present in the wolf species for a long time in many different ways and so it's a mix up as to whether coyotes and dogs actually breed in nature there's some things that don't work like um and I'm not an expert on this either but like uh I, I believe dogs tend to go into heat dog you know female dogs tend to go into heat in the fall whereas coyotes generally have pups in the spring and Um, male dogs generally don't take care of the female dog. Uh, and so if a male dog and a female coyote got together, female got pregnant, the male dog would just go, (laughs) would just go home. And that would kind of ruin that whole, uh, endeavor because as the, uh, you know, as the coyote mother is, uh, nursing the pups, the father needs to feed them. So if that doesn't happen, then the mother's not going to be able to do it. So there's a lot of kind of barriers that make it very, very unlikely that it'll happen. But I imagine it could. Some people think that as coyotes move out into Long Island, which they're doing, um, maybe we will see more dogs, you know, coy dogs, as they're called, because there's so limited options for the coyotes that get out there. (laughs) There's no other coyotes there. I'm, I'm sort of skeptical of that myself, but we'll see.
0: Awesome. Well, that's my last question. If you have anything else that you wanted to add.
1: Yeah, if you're interested, you can find us on Facebook, Gotham Coyote Project. You can find my own organization, the Mianus River Gorge, M-I-A-N-U-S dot O-R-G is the website, Mianus dot org. And we have a newsletter. We have a research newsletter. You can find our papers on there if you want more detail about this subject. Um, and then anyone can email me if you want, C-H-R-I-S at M-I-A-N-U-S dot O-R-G, Chris at dot org.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Sure, sure. This is fun.
0: That wraps up this episode of The Angry Environmentalist. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you learned something about coexisting with coyotes. If you have any like, more questions, please feel free to reach out to our guest speaker. You can also always DM me at The Angry Environmentalist on Instagram. So it's at angry underscore environmentalist. And remember to stay angry and create positive change.